Well, this is, um, like I said, this is Ascension Sunday. It's our time to celebrate the Ascension. And in the, the church calendar, which we've kind of been participating in over uh, this, the kind of from um, Advent through Christmas, through uh, the spring, through Lent, and through Easter, um, the church calls the season between Resurrection Sunday and uh, next resurrected Savior moving and, and uh, healing and, and ministering to people uh, in that time following the resurrection. And then we get to this strange event of the Ascension. And, uh, you know, outside of Ascension Sunday, I, I, I have to be honest, I don't think a lot about the Ascension and, and what it means um, biblically, what it means maybe for our life uh, theologically. And so this is kind of a, a unique time, and, and I'm not always sure exactly what to make of this story. It is a bit of a strange story. But as we take a look at it this morning, uh, would you pray with me? Jesus, we praise you and thank you for the ascension. We're not always sure what to make of it. But as we look at this story, as we contemplate uh, the meaning for our lives even today, would you be moving in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives? May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a little bit of Luke's post-resurrection story. Uh, the story of Jesus. Uh, he appears to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus after they find the tomb is empty. They're, they're, they're walking on the road, and, and suddenly Jesus is walking with them, but they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And Jesus does something very um, interesting to me in that story. He goes back to uh, what we call the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew Bible, and he kind of walks his disciples through uh, the basic story, through the outline of that story of the Hebrew Bible, explaining to them uh, what the Messiah had to go through, explaining uh, how the Messiah was to fulfill Scripture and was going to have to suffer and die and, and, and the meaning of, of all of that. But it's interesting, throughout that whole time, his disciples don't recognize that it's actually Jesus with them. It's not until... He, he breaks bread with them and, and, and blesses that bread and eats with them that they recognize that it is Jesus. And then they're, they're kind of asking themselves, how did we not figure this out? How did we not know? Didn't, didn't, we, didn't we, weren't our hearts warm? Didn't we, didn't we sense that it was him? Uh, but it's not until they, they eat with him. Later, Jesus appears uh, seemingly out of thin air in the midst of, of his disciples once again joining them to to eat with them and and to break bread and to be with them and this is a very familiar way that the disciples are used to experiencing Jesus sitting and eating with him and it's out of this story that our text begins in Luke 24 verse 44 Jesus says to them 
These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Again, Jesus is going back to uh, the Hebrew scriptures and kind of walking them through the Old Testament, helping them understand how this, this really pointed forward, how it was, it was kind of a precursor and, and, and signposts pointing towards Jesus. He references the law of Moses, which the, the Jewish people called the Torah, the prophets, which is, uh, they call it the, the Nevi'im, and the Psalms, or the writings, or the Ketuvim, and together these are the three sections of the Hebrew Bible. And so Jesus is walking them through the Old Testament and showing how it points to him. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Hebrew Bible, the longing of a fulfilled covenant and the descendant of David to sit on the throne. This is what the Jewish people had hoped for and longed for. And Jesus is saying, it has come to completion in me. So part of what is happening in this story is the glorification or the, the raising up and enthronement of Jesus as king as he is uh, ascending. He is is both, you know, f kind of physically ascending, um, but it is also a, a picture of Jesus ascending to as, as king. Verse 45 then says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It's interesting that all of the time the disciples had spent with Jesus, they're still missing part of what Jesus is saying. And without him kind of you know, kind of supernaturally or, you know, in his godness helping to open their mind, they're still missing the point. And, and I think that speaks into my own life that how many times do I open up scripture and still miss the point? Like the disciples, I think we too often come to scripture with preconceived notion of what the Bible says. For, for the disciples, they, they believed the Messiah was going to, um, you know, be like this, this warrior king and come in, in strength and power and, and, and bring an army and, and wipe out the Romans and, and establish a, a new uh, kingdom of David in, in the way that they expected that to happen. We come with our preconceived notions often to Scripture. And so I wonder, do we allow God's Word to change us, to, to shape us, or do we try to squeeze it into our predetermined mold? Jesus says then, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus is teaching about himself as the fulfillment of the Hebrew Bible, about the need for him to come and suffer and die and rise from the dead. And this phrase that he says, the repentance and forgiveness of sins, another way that that, that word can be translated is liberation from sin. Liberation puts a, a different spin on things. Jesus is the liberating force that comes in and sets us free, breaking the chains that bind. And so Jesus is coming to, to set captives free. And he's explaining how this all points to him. Jesus then says to his disciples, You are witnesses of these things. 
And see, I am sending upon you what the Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. See, Jesus' followers are supposed to proclaim this message, that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of Hebrew scriptures, to, to tell the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, to, to tell what they had been witnesses to, what they had experienced with Jesus. And they're supposed to take this to all nations. See, this story uh, gets expanded. It is no longer just a, a Hebrew-Israelite story. This is becoming a human story. They are supposed to first wait for the Holy Spirit and then take this message to all people. Jesus says essentially to them, hang out until God's power comes over you and then get things moving. There's a mission. There, there's something for you to do. I have a, a job for you to do. And it is to take this message to others. Then Jesus leads them out uh, to a place called Bethany and it says, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And it says, they were continually in the temple blessing God. Have you ever stopped to wonder why Jesus has to ascend? Why doesn't Jesus just stick around? I mean, he's, he's resurrected from the dead. It seems to me, in my human understanding, that if Jesus just hangs out, like people are going to have to be confronted with there's, you know, there's this walking, this guy walking around who we tried to kill, and he's still here. Maybe if Jesus would have just stuck around, more people would have come to know him. Maybe they would have been convinced that maybe the 40 days that he's walking around after his resurrection didn't quite cut it. I've wondered why he doesn't stick around for a long time and grow that movement. I think these questions are tough, trying to think about or figure out why God does what God does. And in my humanness, uh, there's a lot of that that I just don't completely understand. But let me make a couple observations. After the ascension comes Pentecost. It's soon to follow where, where the Spirit of God, uh, the disciples actually followed directions for once in their, in their life, in their discipleship. They follow Jesus' directions. They're waiting. They're praying together. And the Holy Spirit will come on them and, and uh, animate the body of Christ. Will, will, will help to, to send them out and empower them. And at that moment, the good news of Jesus begins to move out in many directions, through, through Peter and through John, through, through the other ten, eventually through Paul, through people like Stephen and, and Timothy. This message is going to spread out in, in multiple directions. Eventually, uh, Mark and, and Matthew and Luke and John are going to write their accounts of the gospel story. Uh, Paul and, and Peter and, and some others are going to write other uh, inspired letters to the church, encouraging them to, to walk in faithfulness with Jesus. And this all starts to go out in lots of different directions. Maybe in the way that one person limited in time and space and uh, to one physical location can't do. 
Jesus was completely human, and so he was, he was in a way confined to that wherever he was in that moment. But because of the ascension, the power of God, the message of Jesus is soon going to be going out and spreading in multiple directions. The movement grows in ways that it probably couldn't do if it was just constricted to one place at one time. Theologians use the word incarnation to talk about how God enters history at a specific time and a specific place in history. God is enfleshed. He cries, he eats, he experiences joy, and I imagine laughter, pain, loss, suffering, and death. The incarnation is important because in Jesus, God becomes like us. God knows what it's like to have parents, to have a disagreement with parents. Uh, Jesus knows what it's like to uh, be hungry, you know, when he's, after he fasts for 40 days. And he knows what it's like to, to experience the loss of friends. He knows what it's like to live like us. And because Jesus did that, God knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be one of us. But then as the Spirit comes, we also recognize that God is not bound by physical location. He is not bound by being at one place at one time. In the ascension and then moving of the Spirit, we are reminded that God also moves and gives life beyond one place at one time. So I've been thinking about that this week um, and just maybe some practical applications for maybe how this impacts our life right now in, in 2021. Um, and these are just some musings. These are unfinished thoughts, so feel free, you know, if you want to push back later with me, that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. I was having a conversation this week about online virtual worship, and some of you are participating in that this morning, especially considering how the church moves forward kind of post-pandemic. What does it mean to have uh, online or hybrid worship? We can do it. We have the technology to do it. Um, one of the questions I think we often stop to ask is, should we do it? What does it say about God? What does it say about the nature of worship? What does it say about the incarnation when we are not all physically present here at this time and this place together? And I was talking with a friend this week about that very thing. My friend said, you know, I like to think about the Spirit. How the Spirit moves where it will in ways not bounded by time or location. To the gathered body in a place at a specific time, living in a particular context for us. That context is, you know, the, the greater Hershey, Palmyra uh, area. 
That is our context. That is, that is the place that, that Spring Creek is, is located. These are the, the issues of the neighborhood, the issues of, of our neighbors, of our community, of our state, of our country. We are invested in. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of what we wrestle with and deal with. It is a part of how we are called to minister to our world. Us living in a particular context and embodying Jesus in that context will always be important and, and, and really central to what the church is called to do and be. There are things that we just can't do online. Give hugs when folks are grieving. Be with one another. We can, I guess, you know, through Zoom and other things, you could share a meal in a way with one another. We could watch each other eat. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's not quite the same. But there are also things that the virtual connection allows that can't happen if we are bounded to a specific time and place. Over the last year, year and a half or so, our, our shut-in folks have had more access to our corporate worship we have a connection with Creekers in, that's, that's Spring Creek people, Creekers. We have connections with them in South Carolina, in Rehoboth. We have friends in Lancaster. We have family in different parts of the country that can engage and, and participate in our worship in ways that they couldn't do before all of this. Our carpenters class has been able to connect with old friends in different parts of the country that a physical meeting wouldn't allow. And so we continue to look for ways to engage with people online, encouraging more than just being a spectator, but a participant in what's happening, a participant in our life together. The incarnation will not go away. The need for us to uh, have a group of people that meets physically together, that, that takes on the, uh, the issues and, and, and looks at the ways that this community needs healing, that's not going to go anywhere. There's always a need for the local church to be invested in a community in that time and that place. And yet there's also ways that we're kind of figuring out where the good news of Jesus can be proclaimed to different people at different places at different times. It's interesting to watch some of our, um, you know, we, we live stream our services on YouTube. Um, and, you know, over the last couple of months, uh, on average, we have about 40 connections uh, to our live service. Uh, but following that, 11 o'clock worship service, often there's 40, 50, 60 other views, people getting on and, and watching and participating in our worship service. Uh, when we had Youth Sunday, you know, we had a, a big group of people here, and then we also had a, a equal or more number of people watch online. And so their message about living with passion helped inspire those of us that were here, but also helped inspire lots of other folks who, you know, 
maybe wanted to see their, their kids or grandkids or uh, neighbors wanted to see what our, our kids were sharing and heard that message. The incarnation ascends, leaving room for the Spirit to come and move and send the body of Christ beyond Jerusalem. This message doesn't stay in Jerusalem. It goes. It moves. In this passage, Jesus teaches himself as the fulfillment of Scripture. His death as a means of freeing or liberating those oppressed by sin. His resurrection conquers death. And then he calls his disciples and by extension, all students of Jesus to be witnesses that testify to the good news of that story. And then Jesus ascends. He, he returns to the Father, leading the way for us to someday be in the presence of God Almighty. One of the early church fathers, a, a guy named Irenaeus, said that Jesus became like we are so that we might become like he is. See, God took on flesh, living as a truly human one. And the resurrection is the first uh, of resurrection to come, but it also gives hope of resurrection to us, that death is not the end. And then the ascension is Jesus returning to be with the Father, a promise of our place with the Father for all who are liberated from sin by the good news of Jesus. Following this, this time with Jesus, as he ascends, we're told that the, the disciples go and they, they worship him. And they head back to the temple and they are there constantly worshiping. Which is really interesting to me that a, that a bunch of uh, Jewish people who have believed that God is completely other and, and certainly they don't want to connect God with any human person. They would never think of worshiping a, a human one. They go and they are worshiping Jesus. They recognize Jesus' divinity, that he is God of God. And so they go and their proper response is worship. Worshiping Jesus. They've just seen the glorification and enthronement of Jesus and uh, the right thing for them to do. Their, their proper response to the good news of Jesus, to seeing him raised up, glorified. The, the good news, the, their response of being freed from sin is to gather and praise God worship God and thank God for all he has done in their life and for the work that he continues to do in the world. And so I don't know if you, you noticed, we kind of moved up the sermon in, in the order of worship here. And so we are going to respond this morning by worshiping and praising God. And we're going to start that by confessing that we don't have it all together, that we are a broken people in still in need of a Savior, that we still find ourselves oppressed by our own sin and the sin around us. And so we are going to confess that and we are going to respond in worship together this morning.